This is Meg Tilton at The 8 Cow Life, episode number three, what bungee jumping taught me about overriding my lower brain. This is The 8 Cow Life, a place where LDS women, and really any woman, can come to learn how every aspect of their life is beautiful and has purpose. A place to help you realize how important you are, and that this place we call Earth just wouldn't be the same without you. So sit back and take a breather in that unfolded laundry, and let's chat for a moment about your amazing life. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, on this fantastic Monday. I'm glad that you all could be here and that we can chat today. Um, you know, today, I it's a Saturday when I'm recording this, actually, and I took my fourth child, who is three, she's almost going to be four, to a swim birthday party this morning. And she, you know those times as a mother where you look back and you think about all those things that you said that your children would never be like? Yeah, don't say that if you don't have kids because you're pretty much setting yourself up for having a child that does that thing that you don't like. So... I always swore that my kids would be really strong swimmers. And with my first child, uh, who's also a girl, she was terrified of the water. And I pushed her a little bit too far. I mean, this one incident that we had, I felt so badly about. And her dad, who's a saint, just had to kind of work with her after that because she wouldn't go in the water with me. Let's just leave it at that. So my my two sons actually have been kind of timid of the water as well, although all three of my oldest are pretty good swimmers now. I mean, they could, I don't worry so much about them in the pool. Um, you know, I always find it funny when people are like, yeah, I went and hung out at the pool all summer. And I'm like, I can't think of anything that is more stressful to me than hanging out at the pool with my kids because my three-year-old and my one-year-old just want to kill themselves and have no concept of you know, that water, you can't breathe underwater. So my fourth child, this three-year-old, she is not like her three older siblings and she has no fear of the water. So she, um, when we were on vacation this summer, we went to some friends and stayed with some friends in Colorado and they had this slide at their, at their, uh, you know, their development pool that we went to. And it emptied into really deep water and because she was so little the fat the slide was fast for her and she just kept going off again and again i had to catch her at the bottom because of course you know my my mommy brain at that point was done when i was packing for the trip and had forgotten to you know put a floaty in and so she would go under the water and she just thought it was the greatest thing and she just kept going again and again and my husband then on our way back, we stayed with my in-laws in Colorado Springs for a night. And the day that we were there, my husband took them swimming, the four oldest. And she would just go under the water and be looking at him from underneath the water and be like, yeah, are you going to get me? Because, you know, clearly I can't breathe, but she wasn't panicking or anything. So at this swim party this morning, she just, I put a floaty on her this time, but she was fearless. She just um, you know, went for it. And I just admire her for that. So I decided on vacation this summer that she's definitely going into swim lessons 
soon because we need to teach her that while it's great that she's not afraid of the water, she doesn't need to have a respect for it. Anyway, I thought it was a good little segue into this today's podcast because we're talking about fear and what our brain does when we come up against situations that are scary or that we're supposed to fear. So we're going to talk about how and why a lot of times we need to make sure that we override that in our brains. So I want you to think about a time or a situation in your life that comes up maybe that you are really, really, really scared of. Um, There's some pretty common ones that most people uh, are fearful of. Um, Riding in an airplane, that's a huge one. I'm not a huge fan of riding in airplanes myself. Swimming with sharks. I've always told my husband, like, if I ever see a shark in the ocean and I'm not supposed to see the shark, you know, I'm not like on some expedition or something or in a cage to see them, even if I was in a cage, I I think I might just die right there in the water. Um, parachuting, jumping out of an airplane, that's a big fear for people. Public speaking is huge. Going to the doc, doctor and getting a shot, that's another one that people are afraid of. My husband hates the dentist. So he, I've never seen him get so worked up about anything like going to the dentist. He really, he has pretty sensitive teeth, so he does not like the dentist. The list could go on and on of things that we are afraid to do or have happened to us. And, you know, the thing is, is that our brain is programmed to look out for things that are potentially dangerous and could cause us harm. And it does this so that we can think about them in a way uh, so that we can protect ourselves. Um, You know, fear is an emotion that is based in the future. And that is a really good thing because that means that we have the ability to control it and to actually never be afraid of anything if we choose. So how would you like that if you could move forward in your life and not be afraid? That would be, I think, a gift to many of us. So I want to kind of tell you this story that was a big illustration of this for me in my life of overcoming your fear by overcoming your brain. So when Dr. Tilton, which is my husband, his first name is Greg, but I'm going to refer to him here as Dr. Tilton because he has a PhD in biochemistry, so he's kind of a smarty pants, but nobody ever calls him Dr. Tilton. And it's kind of a personal joke that we have you know, whenever he's trying to establish how smart he is to me, he's like, I am a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. So I thought I will give him a shout out here because he really is smart. He's much smarter than I am. We're actually smart in different areas. Uh, We have our strengths in different areas. So we complement each other really well. So but he's super smart. And so I'm going to talk, I'm going to refer to him as Dr. Tilton here. And so when we were first married, we took a trip to New Zealand. Now, last week I talked about the awesomeness of the Pacific Northwest. And let me just tell you, New Zealand takes the cake, I think, as at least for all the places that I have been. I haven't been a ton of places, but I've been some pretty cool places. It takes the cake for natural outdoor scenery. It's just 
magnificent. So if you can withstand the 12 hour plane ride and, you know, pony up the cash that it takes to get there because plane tickets are not cheap, um, put that on your bucket list. So when we were first married, so we've been married for 14 years. So we were, I think in our first or year and a half of our marriage, we went to New Zealand with my parents and it was just an awesome trip. And New Zealand is known for its outdoor adventure opportunities. And uh, so we decided while we were there, we were going to take advantage of a few. And in fact, before we even left, my husband announced that he was going to go bungee jumping off the Kawaru River Bridge. Now, the Kawaru River Bridge is significant in the world of bungee jumping because it is the first place that commercial bungee jumping ever started so he had this thing where he's like if I'm gonna ever bungee jump I'm doing it there because that was the first place that people ever started so I was like you're crazy I am not bungee jumping off any bridge and um, he was so determined that we made a special trip at the end of our vacation to go back to this bridge because we had gone at the beginning of our trip and stopped there and watched people bungee jump. And let me tell you, it was crazy and it seemed super high up and it did not look like something that was a good idea. Uh, but a really interesting thing happened as we stood there and we watched people jump over and over and over again, that initial fear and craziness of doing such a thing wore off. So th so much so that by the time that we went back <clears throat> at the end of our vacation, I decided that I was gonna do it too. I was just like, you know what, we're here, I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> so when we got there, it was the end of the day and we were almost the second to last people to jump. And I told Dr. Tilton, I said, if I'm going to do this, I have to go before you. Because if I don't, I'm totally going to chicken out. And so the way that this bungee was set up, bungee jump, bungees are set up like a couple different ways. So you'll see ones that are off times around people's waists. But this one was around our lower legs and ankles. So what they would do is they would put this towel around your to your both your legs and then they would attach a harness around that and then attach the bungee to the harness that was on your ankles and for the best results what you wanted to do and what we learned why you wanted to do this was you had to jump head first so basically like you're diving into a swimming pool when we had gone there at the beginning of the trip we had seen people jumping off and we saw this girl jump and she decided to go feet first, which of course to many of us would seem a lot less scary. But what happens is, is that you fall, you know, feet first, but then you get to the end of that bungee and because it's attached to your ankles, it whips you around. And she was complaining of some back issues. Like she was like, yeah, that probably wasn't such a good idea that I did that. So I knew when I did this that I had to go head first or it was a no-go. I'm going to pause the story here for a minute because I want to talk to you about what exactly is was going on in my brain 
Um, as I inched my way closer and closer to the end of this little wooden platform that you had to stand on (laughs) and what the difference is that was going on in my brain between my higher brain and my lower brain. First of all, let's talk about the lower brain. The lower brain is what we have inherited from our ancestors, from our ancestors through eons of time. And it is the part of our brain that was meant to protect us from things that can, can harm us. So way back when it was a eat or be eaten kind of world, this brain helped keep us safe from predators, which was a really good thing. You know, you, nobody wants to be eaten, right? And during this time, there were real dangers that could potentially kill us. And so we needed that brain to tell us that we needed to not do certain things so that we could stay alive. Now today, there are still instances where we may be faced with immediate danger, and that is when we need our lower brain to help us to know what to do. So a really good example of this would be if you have ever been sitting somewhere and all of a sudden you see something coming at you out of the corner of your eye. And what do you do? What is your reaction? You flinch, right? So you flinch because your lower brain is processing, um, is trying to process what exactly is going on. And it's all subconscious, um, but that lower brain's number one job is to keep you safe. So it sees this thing coming out of nowhere, like coming out and it can't tell what it is, but it knows that it's something that could cause you danger. So you flinch and duck to try and get out of the way of that thing. Now, the higher brain's job is where our active thinking takes place. So the lower brain is where our emotions and our subconscious kind of like to hang out. But our higher brain is where our active thinking is taking place and where we have the ability to take it, take in all the information around us and make really intelligent decisions about our environment and, and our situation. Um, It is the part of our brain that takes over after that initial reaction of our lower brain and can either be truly afraid, you know, and really get out of the way if it's something really dangerous or decide that something is not dangerous. Um, So this is the part of the brain that jumps in, you know, after you flinch and realize that that flying thing that is coming at you is only a sock thrown by your energetic nine-year-old, not a spear from a rival tribe. That, I think, is a really good description of how our two brains work. Um, Both parts of our brain are really important and really needed, and the thing that we have to learn to do is make sure that our lower brain doesn't get away with falsely representing a situation and that our higher brain can calm the lower brain down so that our outcomes are much better and are more constructive and our overall well-being is really on a higher plane. We're humans, we have a higher processing brain and so we want to live a higher, more processed life. Okay, so now let's go back to the bungee. So. You know, I had gotten strapped in, I had the bungee wrapped around my legs, and as I'm inching myself slowly but surely out to this platform, my lower brain was screaming at me, really bad idea, 
Like no one jumps from 43 meters above the ground with a good outcome. And it kept yelling this because it wanted to keep me safe. It wanted to keep me alive. It was doing its job. But at the same time that my lower brain was yelling these things at me, my higher brain was trying to calm it down, kind of like, you know, stroking my brain saying, this is perfectly safe because I'm attached to a bungee that will catch me. There is no reason to worry because thousands of people do this every day and are safe. Let's just say, folks, that the battle was fierce between these two parts of my brain, and that was evidence in the video that we got later that was about 15 minutes long. And a bungee jump takes about, from like when you jump to when you get off the bungee, probably no more than three minutes. So this was a 15 minute long bungee, and it did have my husband on it too. We got both of us on there, but he was just like a blip at the end. <laughs> because he he had a much uh his higher brain had a much easier time overriding his lower brain so um you know this video is 15 minutes long and if you watch it i really hope i can get it actually uploaded to my site because i think it would be awesome for you all to watch but i have to get it off of a vhs and get it downloaded um, what you actually will see is what you think is a dialogue between me and the guys who are running the bungee. You know, I'm asking them all sorts of questions about what could possibly go wrong and what the outcome would be like if the bungee fails and I hit the water, like would I live and all this different stuff. <laughs> and really what it is though, is me having a dialogue with my own brain out loud, just acting like I'm having this conversation with these guys. So thankfully for me, the higher brain eventually won over the lower brain and I jumped. But let me tell you, that lower brain was screaming at me the whole way down and the subsequent subsequent recoils afterwards. So that was one thing I was not prepared for. When you bungee jump, and I have to say, it was a mental override of my brain. I physically felt that, and I've never felt that before. And but I was ready for the initial like jump, but then it recoils and then you free fall again, like two or three times. And I was not ready for that. So I found that actually more scary than the initial jump. So I realize that some of you listening may be thinking that I should have listened to my lower brain, that my brain was not being helpful, that my higher brain was not being helpful. But this is because you were looking at the situation from a fear-based brain. So statistically, if we look at statistics, bungee jumping is safer than getting in your car. But I would be willing to bet that most of you are far more willing to go for a drive down the road than to bungee jump. And why is this? Uh, it is because your higher brain has had time to override your lower brain. And while we are aware of the risks of driving, we also know that to go anywhere to accomplish other things in our lives, we have to drive. And so our higher brain has taken over the lower brain. So when I bungee jumped, um, they had actually offered for you to be able to bungee jump again. Uh, I could have bought two bungees for a discounted rate to jump twice. And I really wish that I had done that because once I jumped the first time, my lower brain really calmed down. 
and my higher brain reasoning showed its wisdom and it would have been a lot easier to jump the second time. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so amazing how your brain works? Like it wants to keep you safe, but then we have this higher brain that knows, no, you're going to be fine. And this is a part of life that can be enjoyable if you want it to. But we always think, no, we're going to die. So what I want to talk about today, too, is how does all of this have to do with our everyday life and the situations that we come up against? So it has a lot to do with our everyday lives. And so I want you to think about your normal, probably mostly mundane routine. Um, Are there things you do on a daily basis that scare you? You're probably going to say no, but I want to redefine fear here for a minute for you. Um, Are there things that you just don't want to (laughs) do and you don't want to get done? And if you're like me, you're probably going to say yes, because I have a lot of things in my life that I just sometimes just don't want to do. And what if I were to tell you that this is your lower brain winning over your higher brain? So let me give you a couple examples of how this works. I'm notorious for leaving clothes on the floor. My husband hates it. And, but after 14 years of marriage, he's kind of come to realize that I'm probably not going to change. I, I am trying to be better, but it is a fault of mine just because at the end of the day, when I'm exhausted, I just throw my clothes on the floor anyway. (laughs) So what if you have this pile of laundry that's sitting on your floor and it's on your bathroom floor and it needs to be washed. But you decide that you don't want to pick it up. So you walk over it, the pile, you step over it for several days. You maybe even trip over it, but you just can't bring yourself to pick it up and wash it. Um, so this is not because you are purposely being lazy. It is because it requires work to pick it up and work to walk it to the washing machine and load it in the washing machine and then take it out of the washing machine and put it in the dryer and dry it and then fold it and then put it away. What our lower brain is telling us with this whole thing is it wants to conserve energy. And so it wants to do the least amount of work possible so that when we really need to have energy, we will have it. Our higher brain, on the other hand, in this situation knows that if we did the laundry, if we picked it up and we took it to the washing machine and we dried it and we folded it and we put it away, we would feel a lot better. And we don't need to conserve that energy because by the end of the day, we don't have to worry about a pack of hyenas coming in and attacking us. And we know that moving, our higher brain knows that moving and working is good for us. So which part of your brain will you let win in a situation like this? Does the laundry get done or does it not? I want you to think about that the next time you have laundry and really think about which part of your brain is winning. My second example is that you have to call a sister in the ward and set up a visiting teaching appointment. I know for a lot of people, this can be a little bit difficult. If you're not LDS, what visiting teaching is, is two sisters are assigned three or four sisters within their congregation to just kind of check over, make sure that they're doing okay. If there's um, a need in the family, then they administer to that. And it's a really great program, but it can be a little bit daunting sometimes. And so I think our lower brain can often take over here and say things that keep us from fulfilling this obligation. 
So here are a few that your brain could be telling you. What if she is mean to me on the phone? Or what if I'm going to be bothering her? Or you say really dumb things when you talk to others on the phone. She's going to think that you're totally inadequate. Or this is my favorite, and I think a lot of people think this. Visiting teaching is a forced friendship. It's too much emotional work. But here's the thing, our higher brain knows better. It knows that we just need to love her, that we need to make an effort, and that what she thinks of it is on her, not on us. Our only job is to do the best that we can and go from there. Which part of your brain is winning on this issue? I wonder if the church statistics would give us a good insight into that. In conclusion, There are countless numbers of examples that I could share with you, but I want you to start paying attention to your brain and what it's telling you. Are you being ruled by your lower brain that's trying to keep you safe? Or are you being ruled by your higher brain that is trying to help you live a full, happy, and productive life? Are the things that you find scary really scary or just the story your lower brain is telling you? If you want a really great example of how our brains talk to itself, go watch the Lord of the Rings movies and listen to Gollum and what the ring did to him. That magic ring ruled his lower brain and ultimately ended up destroying him. Gollum is a perfect example of the conversation our brains have when we come up against situations where part of us wants to do one thing but part of us knows that there's a better thing to do. And I might just add, those movies were filmed in New Zealand. All right, that's it for today. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you next Monday. If you like what you've heard today, please make sure to check out my website at the8cowlife.com. You can also go to Facebook, where my Facebook page is The 8 Cow Life, or you can reach out to me through email at meg, M-E-G at the 8 Thanks and have a good one.